I'm going to try something a little bit different tonight. Um, I've, I've kind of wanted to, to try this out in our setting before and haven't really done a good job with it. I, I've kind of tried barely before, but um, instead of trying to teach and say, and here's what our application should be as NoHo Church, the 15 people sitting in this room, um, instead of that, I'm, I'm going to teach and, and help to just explain what the passage is, is saying, just give some explanation of the text, because I spent a bunch of hours like trying to just make sure I understand what's going on here. And then I'm going to just ask for a little more discussion and feedback on, well, what, what will that mean for us, and let us kind of come up with our own application, hopefully based on a right understanding of what Scripture says, okay? So I'm counting on you all for that, so listen close. Um, the thing I want to give explanation for, if you turn to 1 Samuel 8, um, a few things. I kind of want to just set up what was going on in Israel before the time of the kings. We can kind of understand what a system under a king is like, because we have nations that currently have kings, and even our nation, maybe a king is, is somewhat close to a president, right? Like you have this this main leader that is overseeing people. Um, so I want to describe just a little bit of what was happening before that in Israel, before Saul becomes king, just so we can kind of understand what, what life may have been like in, in the kingdom of Israel, you can say, that wasn't quite a kingdom yet. Uh, basically, you, you, in the time of the judges, we read the book of Judges and... Um, and Israel's in the land, right? There's, it's Israel, this nation, and there's 12 tribes we know. Um, but the, the tribes or, or people were ruled by, more, by their family, okay? Like elders in their family were kind of the rulers. Or each family was operating fairly autonomously. There's part of the same nation of Israel, but um, they, they were self-ruled in a way. Now, they had a shared code of morals that God had set out for them in the Torah that they were all following. And if they were told in the Torah, if you have disagreements, things you can't settle, you'll go to the judges or you'll go to the priests and they're going to give you the, the right answer and whatever they tell you to do, you have to do. But beyond those disagreements that they might get in that lead them to these judges and priests, they're just deciding in their family and they're the elders, the older men in the family, not just family like mother, father, and two or three kids, but like their extended family. Within that family, the, the older men in the family are kind of just leading the family in their, in their um, government, if you will. Um, we're reminded in the book of Judges, if you remember, um, it says a number of times, in those days there was no king in Israel. So we don't have a king yet before we get to our passage today. It's kind of hinted at in just even saying that, that there would be a king at some point. And even in Deuteronomy 17, in the Torah earlier on, God actually says, hey, you're going to ask for a king, and I'm going to set up a king for you. And then they give some laws for here's how the kings are supposed to, how they will operate eventually. So we know that kings are going to be coming. Even back in Genesis 17, in the blessing that God gives to Abraham, I'm going to give you this nation and people and kings will come from you. So there's this expectation that there's going to be kings in, in the land of Israel. Um, but, but before we get to that monarchy, there, the power kind of rested in a much more kind of local context with, with families and with priests and judges that were over different areas. That makes sense. Um, a little less organized, maybe, than what we're used to. So we get to Samuel, who's born at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel. And he's a judge. He's one of the last judges. He's also called a prophet. And he's also a little bit like a king, because he was very popular, and he was kind of judging almost the whole nation. He'd become almost like that central figure, as opposed to the judges that would do a little battle over here and a battle over here and kind of watch over these people in the area of Dan. And these. But Samuel was kind of this transitionary character between judges and kings. He wasn't officially named a king, but he was operating kind of almost into that role at some point. So 
<clears throat> Just to give some background. Uh, the responsibility of a king is very similar to the responsibility of a biblical judge. Remember, we learned a judge in, at least as, as described in the book of Judges in Israel, isn't a Supreme Court justice or whatever, somebody that's just working with law all the time, but they're also, they're like going to battle and fighting and leading in, um, in battles. They're a little more rough and tough than you might picture the judges with the curly white hair coming down. Um, of course, I think they would battle in that too and sometimes. <laughs> So, um, but kings, one of the things that kings would do, we learn in our, we'll read today, is that they are like a judge. And another thing that a king does is they lead in, in battle. And so really, a king is very much like a judge. It's just that when you get to a king, he's overseeing the whole kingdom versus the little areas. So... Um, that's kind of a significant difference. You are, we're moving to a national leader from the judges who are a little more local. And that's the way that it was supposed to be with the judges. In Deuteronomy 16, um, God says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes. So local kind of government to monarchy government. And Samuel is this transition. Okay. I want to read the first nine verses of 1 Samuel 8. All right? says this, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. They're going to be the final judges, we see. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. So there's the... Notice it says they were judges in Beersheba, so that's kind of the locational aspect where they were, where they were judging. Yet, uh, Samuel's sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. So Samuel was a good guy following the Lord. His sons were not. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all of the elders of Israel, those local leaders of all the little families around, gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, Samuel, you are old. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they, also, they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now, I don't know about you all, but I have to kind of work hard at understanding exactly, like, what was the problem with Israel asking for a king? Um, if they, like I said before, they're kind of expecting some kingship to happen down the line at some point. So. What, what exactly is the problem? Because as far as I can tell from scripture, kings, the idea of having a king, that's not bad. Kings aren't bad in scripture. Um, God says to Israel, you're going to have kings. He tells that to Abraham. And he tells the again in Deuteronomy, here's how the kings should rule. So it's not like saying, hey, these kings are just this awful idea. There's nothing inherently wrong with kings. So why was this kind of request that the people are making for a king so wrong? On their own time, and not only that, they're asking like uh, other nations, like all the other nations. So they're wanting to be like all the nations. They say, yeah. Wasn't God their king? God was their king already. Yeah. Y'all, I don't even have to go where I was going to go. No, it's good. I mean, it, it says it in the passage: they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They rejected me as their king. Um. I'm going to give you kind of three things that include some of what you said and maybe add a little more to it. Um, the, the wrongness for the reason for asking for the king. First of all, Israel was expecting that a king would fix the problem of their morally bankrupt judges. Okay? 
if you all remember reading through Judges, most of those judges were not just stellar followers of the Lord. Um, God used them to accomplish some things. Even when you happen to have a good judge at some point, like Samuel, that doesn't even get passed on to the next generation. Samuel's sons do evil stuff, right? Um, Deuteronomy 16, talking about the judges that are going to happen when you get into the promised land. It says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns. I read that earlier. And here's what the judges should do. When you have judges, they shall not pervert justice. They shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe. Well, in 1 Samuel 8, 3, we just read, Samuel's sons didn't walk in Samuel's ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Exactly what God said. The judges are not supposed to do this. This is exactly what the judges were doing. <coughs> and Israel's thinking, well, maybe if one system of leadership, one governmental system is not working right, maybe another form will solve the hmm. problems. Does that sound familiar? Like about every four years or so, we hear something like that, right? <laughs> but really, what's going to happen if you just kind of shift forms of leadership and consolidate them or do them in different things? Are things going to get better necessarily? Things are going to change. Like life is going to be different <laughs> with a king. We're going to read about a little bit. It's going to be different than when you had judges. But whether it's a king, like whatever you want to call your leaders, kings or dictators or judges or a president or prime ministers or court justices or whatever, if you replace one human leader or multiple human leaders with another human leader, you still have a human in leadership, right? And leadership structures that are based on sinful humans will always include moral failure at some point down the line. And the people are going to follow right along to some extent in the long term. <coughs> That's one reason why Samuel's displeased with the request, because they're asking just for kind of a new form of leadership which isn't going to fix the problem of the human heart in the Israelites and, and, and their leaders. If you're looking to, this, we talked about this in the Story of God series, if you're looking to humankind to solve the problems of humankind, you're in trouble. They can't do it. They're not going to be able to fix things. What should Israel have done at the time? Repent. Turn to the Lord for morality, not turn towards maybe these leaders can make us more moral. So Israel was expecting maybe that the king or future kings could fix the problem of the judges. Um, secondly, Israel was expecting a king could give them military victories, right? It's like they wanted a spearhead for their national identity to lead them into victory. And all the other nations around them had leaders to organize them and to come up with military strategies and to lead them in battle. And you can imagine Israel thinking, man, if we could just, if we could just all be more united, like all of these 12 tribes united under one king leading us off into battle, think how powerfully how powerful we could be if we would just do this. And they were longing for this point person to get them to victory. But again, they're looking to a person in order to accomplish something that a person may or may not be able to accomplish. So if you think about it, they, they knew the process that had happened during the judges. We've talked about several different times during the time of the judges. Like they should have repented at this point. Um, they have some bad judges in place, Samuel's sons. And uh, we find out in a couple of chapters that the Ammonites are actually coming against Israel. And that's probably one of the reasons Israel's asking for a king. They have this threat from outsiders. They're like, oh gosh, we need a king to help us take care of the Ammonites. Um, so they're in, a, they're in a period of immorality uh, with, their, with their leaders. They're being oppressed. What they should have done, like they did in the time of the judges a hundred times, is repent. That was the pattern, right? Like God rescues his corrupt people from the hands of the oppressors when repentance happens. He doesn't, it, it's not when they figure out the right person to put in leadership, but they repent, and then he puts the right person in leadership to rescue them out of their oppression, and then they have peace in the land. So Israel was at the point of they needed to repent. They didn't need to just find the right person to lead. Like they forgot the repentance step almost here. 
I do like a side note. I think how amazing would it have been to the other nations as Israel was taking over so many areas and, and nations in, in the land of Canaan and promised land, and they were doing so without a king, right? They didn't even have Moses at that point. They had some good military leaders, Joshua, right? But they were doing this without a king. They were, they were fighting these battles and winning and taking over lands um, in, in some sort of united fashion under God, who was their king. And unfortunately now, when they're gonna take over future people or lands with a king, what are the other nations gonna to point to except maybe kings? Oh, it was the king that got them there and led them in that battle instead of to the Lord um, if they had just kept him as their king. So, I think Israel is asking for a king to enforce some kind of morality that they weren't getting with the judges and to secure for them some military victories. Um, and I think a good bottom line, like um, David, I think like you said, is that they want it to be like all the nations. Like this is how everybody else does it. They are successful. They have these systems set up. They have a successful military because they have this strong leader in place. That's what we need. If we can just get the right systems and the right leaders in place, we're going to be okay as a kingdom of Israel. So those couple of things, looking to somebody to enforce morality that wasn't going to be able to, looking to somebody to secure victory for them that wasn't going to be able to. And the third thing is what Andrea said. The third reason why it was wrong of them, in this case, to be requesting a king at this time, is because Israel already had a king. When the book of Judges says, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, it's making an observation that there was not one whom the people regarded as king. They were living as if there was no king. There was no king in Israel, apparently, from the people. If you saw the way that they were living, it would look like anarchy, like they just don't, they're just doing whatever each person, whatever each individual wants. There actually was a king at the time, and the king was God. And what they were asking for, ironically, in a king is exactly what their king, Yahweh God, was already providing for them. The people wanted a king to lead them morally and militarily, so they wanted a, like a judge to kind of uphold the law. They wanted a warrior to lead them into battle. Well, God is doing both of those things for them. In Deuteronomy 33, when it says specifically, when the law was given to Israel, this moral code, what to obey, how to live, when that was given to Israel, morality, it was given by God through Moses, and it says at that point, Deuteronomy 33, thus the Lord became king, because he's saying, here's the morality that you need to have. The Lord became king. The highest authority in Israel at this time and at all times, is not a human king, it's not the judge, it's not the priest, it's not the high priest, it's not the elder, but it's God, their king. And like a king, if God says, you have to do this, then Israel had to do it. That's the way that you follow a king. So he wasn't, he, he was their, their moral authority, like they would want a king to be, but he was also their commander-in-chief, right? Um, we talked about this with Joshua, but, but the Lord is the driving force in leading victory or leading Israel to be victorious in all of their battles, right? There's, it's very apparent as you read through those battles that it's not Israel's military strategy or strong leaders necessarily that are pulling them through those victories. It's purely the hand of God. Again, in Deuteronomy 20, um, it says, when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, Israel, you should not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Don't fear or panic or be in dread of him, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight against your enemies to give you the victory. And even like right now at this point in, in 1 Samuel when they're asking for a king, remember I said that the Ammonites are actually right now plotting to kind of overtake Israel as best they can. And in 1 Samuel 12, it says, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, 
No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. It says. So the people were saying, we want a king when they already had a king. That's what's so bothersome, maybe the most bothersome thing to the request of the people to have a king in 1 Samuel 8. Um, and it's summarized in verse 7. Samuel, don't worry, they haven't rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Um, like tragedy, right? This is a big, one of the big, uh, another kind of turning point in the history of uh, what we're learning about Israel and what they're desiring. They would look to a human king instead of a divine king. So, look what God says, uh, starting in verse 9, that Israel will, will receive as, they, as he gives them their king. Um, he tells Samuel, God tells Samuel, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said... These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. You want a king, here's, here's what you get. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. Those sons that used to be like watching out for the protection of the families would now be required to protect the king. And he will appoint for himself commanders and of thousands and commanders of 50 and some to plow his ground and to keep his harvest and to make his, the king's, implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take, you see the pattern here? He will take, he will take, he will take for himself, for himself, for himself. He will take for himself. He'll take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves but the Lord will not answer you in that day. What is he telling them life under a king is going to be like? But the, the best of what they have is going to now go to support this monarchy. Monarch. Um, this is the first time, by the way, Israel is going to pay taxes. Like they have tithes and stuff, right? But, but this is taxes being introduced in Israel. Great. Unfortunately, they could have gone without, maybe, I don't know. The government debts? Um, did you catch the end, too, of verse 17? You shall be his slaves. When was the last time we've heard about Israel at a national level in slavery? Egypt. Egypt. A couple chapters later, Saul is being proclaimed king and Samuel says thus says the Lord the God of Israel I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you but today you've rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses and you have said to him set a king over us like God said okay Samuel Give them the king that they want. Give them another system to show them that changing the system doesn't matter. Give them another figurehead to show that changing the human leader won't solve all your problems because as long as you put sinful people in places of authority, there's going to be corruption. And by the way, this new system and this new person is not going to free them from oppression, but actually cause more of it. It's going to be more like Egypt now that you have a king. And looking to mankind as king instead of God, Israel is, in a sense, going back to some of the oppression that they experienced in Egypt. And God is saying, okay, that's what they want. I'm going to give it to them. Verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, and we also, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. 
And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So instead of repent, instead of trust God as your king, you'd rather Israel have an oppressive, immoral human leader that is going to have sketchy successes. Um, before we talk application here, I want to just point out a couple more things just to give a more rounded biblical perspective too. Um, and first say, and you guys, I don't think I have to say this, but God doesn't support anarchy. Um, he doesn't support everyone does what was right in their own eyes. That's not what God has designed. I was noticing kind of the difference between Old Testament Israel who's kind of saying, um, they're like saying, hey, we want an authority over us. And I was comparing it thinking, but in modern times, we're saying, usually I hear, we, we don't want authority over us. It's kind of more of the idea. But God didn't reject the idea of Israel having authority over them. The authority was just supposed to be himself. In our modern kind of Western, I think, struggle with authority that isn't so good, I guarantee that that kind of feeds our lack of submission, not just to the authorities that we don't want to, but also our lack of submission to our divine king. Uh, and that's the, the culture that we've surrounded ourselves with. Um, even in early Israelite history before the monarchy, if you, like I said, if you brought a case to a judge or a priest, what they said on behalf of God, you, you had to do. There was still authority in place under God. It wasn't, God's not saying you should buck authority, um, just to be clear on that. Secondly, there's nothing wrong with a king or other earthly authorities. J. Barton Payne said, it was not God's will for Israel to have a king in the way they were asking for it. So the, the king, the idea of a king itself, not so bad. But some of the things I was explaining, the way that they were asking for it, not so good. A monarchy is actually a workable system. First um, Samuel 12 says, God says, if you will fear me, and you'll serve the Lord and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. If both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Like this can work with the king. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you, Israel, and your king. Okay? Um, so this, this system of kingship or whatever your authority structure, it's, it, it can work. And not only, and I'm not pulling this from this passage, but I'll mention a few verses. Not only is human authority acceptable in God's eyes and he can use it, but he calls us to submit to it, right? Uh, let's see. <coughs> the Pharisees and the Herodians go up to Jesus, right, and they say, um, do we have to pay taxes? Hey, if God's our king, um, if, if the Father is the king, then, then why do we need to pay taxes? And Jesus kind of kindly says, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? This is the authority system that's in place. You do, do what you're supposed to do under that authority. Um, a couple of verses. You guys have heard these before, but I would be remiss to not mention them. First Peter 2 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, highest person over an empire, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. You know that submitting to God's authority means submitting to those who he's sovereignly put in positions of. Romans 13 says it a little clearer. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Disrespecting your earthly kings, whatever that looks like, is disrespecting your heavenly king. Hello? 
um, similar things are said even about spiritual leaders in Hebrews 13 says obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account so just the two things that I kind of I want to point out as we move into application um, God doesn't support you being your own authority because God is your authority and secondly God as our authority tells us to be subject to the systems of authority that are around us in the land that we live in. So Israel is kind of, uh, we've been seeing, I think, Israel's this almost caricature of humanity in general. And the way that Israel rejects the kingship of God is very similar to how everyone who's been born at times in their life has rejected the kingship of God. Uh, one commentator said about the passage we are looking at today, he said, Here the Lord establishes the thesis that Israel's history from, quote, the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, end quote, was one continuous experience of forsaking me and serving other gods, verse 8. Against this backdrop, Israel's demand for an earthly king is presented as merely the latest instance of their long-standing pattern of rejection. They just wanted somebody to look at and, and we see that time and time again, even like if they have to create a leader with their own hands, like this golden calf. They just want something that they can look at and focus on, who they can say, well, this thing is leading us. Maybe it's an issue of faith, I wonder. Um, I have to follow somebody as my king that I can't see, or sometimes doesn't display power like I expect to see an authority display power. Um, not just in the Old Testament, but uh, Israel continues um, to reject the king in John 19. It was about the sixth hour, and Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king, ironically, right? Pilate's saying, Behold your king, kind of poking fun. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, like Pilate's kind of saying, I guess tongue-in-cheek or whatever, but the priest answered very seriously, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over, or he delivered him over to them to be crucified. They're trading a true divine king for judges who would be miserable failures, kings who many would be miserable failures, religious leaders who would be miserable failures. But there's a perfect king, meanwhile, who's not like all the other nations, who is morally perfect, who alone brings victory and defeat. And whether they recognize it or not, he was and he is and he will always be the king, the reigning king. So um, I'm going to ask you all a few questions about this. If you um, have never done so and would ever like help just discussing um, what you're reading with people or, or just even as you're examining it yourself, um, on the back of these cards we have, there's a little, there's questions to ask as you read a passage that can kind of help you dissect some application out of it. Um, I'm going to ask some of the questions that are on that card. And uh, I, I honestly didn't know exactly what would make sense for our, how, how to apply this passage to, for us. And so I legitimately was like, hey, let's just see what we, what we come up with if we're understanding it correctly. I just tried to give some explanations so we're understanding what's going on. Let's see what we can come up with. So let me first just ask this question, just by way of observation. What do we learn in this chapter about God's character? The character of God, what do we learn? He's jealous, God. He's jealous, yeah. He doesn't want them to have other kings. Yeah. But he's also willing, to, I guess, to step aside and let the people experience that too as well. A lot of times we see, not just here, but he gives the people what they're asking yeah, for. Like, yeah. Here you go. Let's see where this goes. Let's see where this goes. <clears throat> Anything else? What, what do we learn about God's character? I see like his fatherhood in that, you know, because okay. he's like, well, this isn't what I think is best and this isn't what I want for you, but I hear you, and I'm going to let you do that. And then he finds a way to provide for them, mm -hmm. for it to still work, even. 
than having a king. Yeah, yeah he's, he's kind to not just say, fine, you want a king, and I'm going to abandon you and right. just I'm out. Yeah. Um, but he lets them learn from their mistakes. So that it is, it, for me, it's, I'm thinking about just God's sovereignty, knowing that he is actually king over everything, but yet there's also just like, and it's just the same what basically has already been said, but the element of free will in there, that he's going to let them choose and give them what they want. So it's like those two, um, it's like a paradox, but it's just like in his sovereignty, yet yeah, he's still giving this free will to the people. Yeah. It's his character. He's committed to his people, so he's still always going to give them a representative to, re to check the king. He's going to provide the prophets and all that. He's like, I'll always give you my input. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you're reading ahead. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a couple days behind. Oh, okay. He's, he's Jewish. He knows Jewish. He's <laughs> <laughs> in his blood. Um, how, I don't know, we don't know exactly who wrote the book. Um, maybe it was mostly compiled by Samuel himself, um, but he dies at some point in this first half of the book of Samuel, so it could have been all him. Um, unless he was writing prophetically, I guess. Then. What do you think, whoever the author was, how do you think he wants the people to respond to reading this? How does he want his audience to respond? You can think about just this chapter or some more in the context or whatever. I think he wants them to want God as king. I yeah. think he expected them to maybe change their mind when he was like, well, this is what's gonna, what it's going to mean for you. And then they still didn't. Yeah. It's like, well... Yeah. Yeah. He wants he wants them to turn to him and recognize his that he's king. Yeah. Anything else? How do you think the author wants the audience to respond? So I mean, to learn a lesson. I mean, it's interesting that he's like, this is what's going to happen, and then like the audience who's reading it has sees that happen. Um, like it doesn't take long before what he said is going to happen happens. Yeah. Yeah, probably the first people that are reading this are like, oh yeah, he said so. He said it's going to happen. Well, just so. Uh, yeah. He said this wasn't going to go down as wonderfully as they thought it would be. Maybe it's a little bit because he's given them a chance to do it their way. Maybe he's kind of letting them know that he's not as jealous, I guess, mm -hmm. as to it, as opposed to just kind of shut the door. And it's, you know what I'm saying? Like when you give somebody a choice, you're also giving them, you know just another way to go other than you so it's it's kind of like um like he could have he could have said no yeah yeah that's i think samuel was maybe expecting it's not it seems like samuel was expecting yeah. him to say no like, yeah these idiots they want a king god's yeah. like okay it's time was like what yeah what? <laughs> well, like, give it to him in the context yeah it's like but you're gonna call to the lord and he's just not gonna answer you yeah. Like I think about that, like how often I hear I'm talking to the Lord and getting no answers, but it's like that's what you see in Scripture often. There, like there are consequences. Like God's not just letting them off the hook. Yeah. I think it. I mean, I don't know, but this. But I think it's a. It's like we always ask, like, how does free will work with God's will or whatever? And I think that this Scripture actually like displays that somewhat well. So maybe that was kind of like, does like answer that question a bit. Yeah. Maybe we aren't the first generation to struggle with the sovereignty of God and the free will. <laughs> yeah. 
Good. Um, let me ask this next question. Where do you see us in this passage? Like, let's bring it a step closer to us. Where do you see us in this passage? Uh, I think a lack of... Pongo has his knife pulled on me right now. Uh, <laughs> what? A lack of a desire to submit to authority, for sure. Just in general. Just in general, in everything. I think or at least the type, like they're asking for a king, but it's like maybe a lack of wanting to submit to authority when the authority isn't behaving exactly like we want the authority to, so. Yeah, and at the same time, like, not the foresight to be like, that's not the answer. Like, I think, I think we're similar in like, God has sh given us the, the answer and we're so often like, but I want to try this other, even like what you said politically, like every four years it swings back and it's like, well now this side is going to fix the problems and now this side's going to fix the problems when like there's just no, there seems to be no foresight of like, maybe there's a deeper issue. Um, like I think a lot of people really believe that these other things, like if we could just get this problem solved or this symptom or if this mm -hmm. powerful person was different, that would solve the problem. And yeah, and it may it may solve some problems, right? If not things are going to change when leaders change. Um, but ultimately, we're going to fall back into corruption somehow. And, and yeah. Oh, I just think it's like even not just with authority, but like how often we turn to a lesser worldly thing in place of God, like how He mm -hmm. like decides yeah. that He isn't enough, and how often like that. Um, I think God can feel so distant, and I wonder if they felt that way and wanted something a little more tangible. And I think that we can have that yeah. often. That's good. Or like when you see oppression happening, thinking, yeah, that somehow some government is going, some something is going to happen within our government leaders to fix that oppression, mm -hmm. and so we kind of we go after them when the gospel speaks to that to change, actually change hearts, and I think that's what you know. It's like God's taking them out of slavery and they're putting themselves back into it by not trusting him or knowing him like he wants to be yeah. known and worshipped. And so I think it's an example of that too, like how I often, it's like God crying out to God, you you are, can fix oppression, like this is your heart, like this is, you know. Yeah, and we, like to be careful, it, I don't, it's not a one-to-one -one comparison of Israel with their kings and government. Like Israel is a, is a, they truly are a nation under God, right? Like in every sense, that's who they are called to be. Um, and so I don't think the only application is one-to-one -one with us in our government or whatever nation you're a part of and whatever government they're a part of. Like I don't, political government, that's one thing. That's one type of authority that we have. What are other types of authorities that that we have in our lives? Church leadership. Church leadership. What else? Officers, police. Okay, law enforcement. What's that? Bosses. Bosses, yeah. Parents. Parents, okay, good. Yeah, I didn't think of all of those, but. Um, yeah, do you ever find yourselves with with any, all of the people you like, see as authorities in your life, do you ever find yourself saying, oh, I wish I just had a leader like that other nation or that other church or that other family or that other place of business? And if only if only this person could be a little bit more like that person, then maybe the problems would get better if they were more like that. What, like... What it some of those authorities that you can think of the kings, the kings in your life, we'll say, um, what do they have, or, or, or 
what do you desire sometimes that somebody else might have, be a political or church leader or parents or whatever? Like what things do you hear, man, if only we had this type of leader or authorities in place, then we would be able to have this. Just what are some of those things? This would get better if we just had this replacement. If the president was a woman. If the president was a woman. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's a legitimate thing. That would, we could look, we could hope for some things to be fixed if the president was a woman versus, or, or whatever, if the president was more like this or that. I mean, usually they're looking for like a, a good thing, like a quality, like generosity or gracious or, mm-hmm. or modest or a better orator or has like a good vision. Like, I think generally the hope is that the next person will have like virtues, even if, if it's a woman, it's like there are virtues in the way that women view things and do that. like, and that's where the the hope in those people comes from. Or for like a business, like I want the leader to be like a visionary more. Yeah. If there were more visionary for this, business and the business will grow. Yeah. yeah. Better people management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do we look for in other authorities that we aren't finding in authorities? Um, maybe when it comes to church, I've sometimes thought, man, if we just had this superstar pastor like so-and-so that kind of leads in this particular way, then we'd see like these huge <laughs> spiritual victories in our church if we could just have this one person. Or I've thought, just being on church staffs before, I've thought, man, if we could just have a more organized, like business type model with a better hierarchical structure and a stronger CEO, which is like this, that's very much in my mindset, even though I've, I've asked for that in the past and thought about that, man, I wish. Um, it's like that's very similar, I feel like, to what the Israelites are doing when that's not necessarily the system God has designed for his people and ruling over them, but they're like, but this is what we see in other places. And I think the church in a lot of ways does that. This is what we see in companies, and it brings companies success. So let's actually build our church like a company and have this structure that kind of leads into that. That's um, a side note for me, a little soapbox. Um, I don't think churches are meant to have kings. Um, which is why. Which is why we have queens. If you, if, <laughs> why we have queens. <laughs> which is why I I think. <laughs> I think churches have to be very careful if they go with a heavy senior pastor model, like the CEO senior pastor kind of thing. I think is that what we're is that how we're called to lead churches? I don't know. We don't have to get too deep into that. Maybe you've heard of yourself, man, if only I had mom or dad that this person had. Like, my mom and dad are horrible if, if God would have just done it with her. I've never You said that a lot, Jared. <laughs> What's wrong? What's wrong with saying those things? If only we had this type of authority or this type of leader. What's wrong with that statement? Why would maybe Samuel be displeased with that? Complaining, it's, it's complaining, not, and we shouldn't complain. Yeah, yeah it's not well, being grateful for the things that they have. I mean, they just came out of slavery and were placed in a in freedom, mm-hmm. and you know, in a land flowing with milk and honey, and they had won victories over victories. They're not being grateful for the things that God has given to them. And, you know. They're looking for something in a person that God is supposed to provide. Yeah. You're second guessing God's plan. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I think this is hitting home for me with, like, the authority that my husband has over our household. Yeah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) more like this, or if you'd be less yeah. like that, then sure. things would be better, blah, blah, blah. Hey. And, um, they, I think that's where I would see me, like, critiquing and whatever with authority more. I mean, we, like, live together, so it's just more out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I identify with that, too. Like, I think how 
often I complained about church leaders mostly and thinking, well, if they would do this and not that. And, and I think what it does to a degree, even like, you know, now I'm like, I don't complain against you as my husband, but it's, well, I sometimes probably do, but you know, I'm not <laughs> generally. But, um, but I think what it shows me in my heart is like, I don't want to look at my own self, which is like what I see in them, but it's like I don't want to think that somehow the problem actually exists within me and my own heart mm -hmm. and my own critical nature or my own sin. I don't want to repent. So it's easier for me just to yeah. point my finger at anybody else. I was going to say it seems so selfish or selfish or yeah. arrogant. It's interesting to think of like church leaders or husbands um, the way that David did over Saul. He's like, this is God's anointed. You know, like I believed when we were dating that Andres was anointed to be my husband. Mm -hmm. And like when I am questioning that or, or upset with the way that he wants to handle something, like just wanting to have more reverence over God's anointing yeah. over that leadership position in my life. That's so hard. And, yeah. humility. <laughs> and who knows if God gave you more of what you wanted, maybe it's a different person, a different leader, a different whatever, that person is screwed up too. Now they're going to come with their own set of problems. Um, and I think, Clayton, what you said, I think it may be true, like, might we be meant to have what we're desiring in other leaders be fulfilled in God? Like, isn't maybe God the one that we should be trusting for? I think oftentimes it's an issue of faith, like believing that God is actually king, he is actually just and good and powerful. And maybe it's easier to say, oh, if I, I, I can see this person around me, if I could just have this person in leadership or this person, like that's easier to see versus trusting God who can't see. So I think there's some maybe lack of faith even that comes in. Um, last couple questions, just what, what do you think God would want us to do? What do you think he would want us to do if, um, if we're understanding this passage correctly as we've thought through some of our own authorities in our life, and what what would he have us to do, or what would we need to repent of? Pride. Pride. Okay. Thank you. Want us to rightfully give him his place as king and lord over our entire lives. Yes. Let's start there. Let's make God king, or recognize that he is the king. And and underneath that, what you're getting at is if we're recognizing God as king then we also have a trust that whatever he's, he's set up underneath of that as well, um, we, can, we can trust God in that too and submit to his authority in that as well. Yeah, I think that's like no small task, especially in our culture and context. To, I mean, like, the, it says take up your cross, like, be a slave to Christ. Like, the idea of willingly enslaving yourself is not like uh, something that we're culturally even I don't know oh, th like that's that's pretty crazy rhetoric to to use and I think a lot of times for Americans yeah especially. I think a lot of times we view the gospel just as like a self-help you know and and even in like the criticisms of Faith, I feel like a lot, a big one is like, well, how, why, how could a loving God do this? Or if God is real, then why did He do? And like, even our doubt in Him is based on, on like, us knowing better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think to a degree, though, like just something on that. I think it's like I think there is pride, but I also think it's not in every situation, but. It's scary to trust someone to lead you, especially mm -hmm. when you don't yeah. understand everything. Like, so I think sometimes that is hard. Like, and that's like why faith is hard too. And because sometimes there's just things like, still, it's hard for me to grapple with 
like, you know, complete groups of people being killed and I'm choosing to trust God and still not. And it's like, I don't think I know better and I don't think anyone else knows better. I just don't get it. And that's hard sometimes. Let me tell you guys something that I specifically thought of, just probably where I need to repent. Um, what is where I need to repent? Not probably. Um, so a lot of times I'll be bothered when I hear people talking of another church. I'll say, oh, tell me about your church. And it's, oh, so-and-so, the lead pastor, is amazing. And they talk about, not God's church, but they talk about John's church, or whatever the person's name is, it's their church. Oh, you go to Todd's church, or you go to Chad's church, you go to... And for, like, I, that would bother me so much, because I think, oh man, that's, you're putting that, the title of God's church on a person. Um, but, you know what, like, what was really going on in that, really why that bothered me, is because I want people to say that about me. Like, I want people to say, oh, well, tell me about Novo Church. Oh, Jared, uh, Jared Pastor. You Your dad laughs. That's honestly, that's honestly why it bothers me more than, no, God should get the glory, and it should be, man, God is doing magnificent things there. Look at all that God has done. Raleigh's really working in people's lives. And I think, no, I just kind of want people to point out, oh, this is, oh, I go to Jared's church. Good. I say that all the time here. Um, I want to be the point person. I want to be the... And I tell people about Will's church. (laughs) (laughs) Will's church out there in California. All right, well, I'll ask... <laughs> Take just one minute to um, to think to yourself and process to yourself. Just ask the question: So what? Um, what can I do? What can I do, empowered by the Spirit today, because of what I've learned and what I've processed? Like, so what? What? What's a step that I can take today um, or this week, empowered by God's Spirit, to to change or to do something differently? Consider that for just a moment. by just uh, reading Psalm 29, praying. Psalm 29 says this, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips (laughs) the forests bare and In his temple all cry glory. And in the last two verses, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. Father, we want to um, first just recognize you as the ultimate king above all, with all authority and the right to to rule and to call us to a certain uh, life. We recognize you uh, in that position. And would you help us to keep our eyes open to that, to see that and recognize it more and more in our lives. 
And Lord, whatever the application that we've been thinking of, how that kind of spills down into other areas of our lives, whether it's submission to whatever authorities you have over us right now, or maybe we need to grumble or complain less, or whatever it is, Lord, would you work that in our lives by your spirit? Would you help us to submit to you by submitting to um, how you tell us to live and how you tell us to live under authority and how you tell us to um, to follow people but to not get so um, impressed with people and to remember that people are immoral and imperfect and weak in strength but you, King Jesus, are uh, above all and perfect ruler. So give us faith, Lord. Humble us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah.